Blog Talk Radio. Glam more fearless. Diabetes late night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and thank you for tuning in. You just heard Leona Lewis's song, One More Sleep, off of her Christmas with Love CD, courtesy of Sony Music. We're going to be playing that sensational album all night long. As we talk about how to cut down or scale back on your medications, you know, for as long as I've been running Diva Bedick, I've heard time and time again about people express their desire to scale back or get off their drugs for glucose, blood pressure, and or depression, and many others. And, you know, I've always shied away from this topic because I feel it's a slippery slope. On one hand, uh, it doesn't apply to everyone living with diabetes. For example, take my older brother who has type 1 diabetes. He could diet, exercise, and meditate, frankly, until the cows come home, and he still won't be able to stop taking his insulin. And I don't want him to either because insulin keeps him alive. You know, so many of these advertisements advertisements (laughs) directed at people with diabetes claim to promote, um, claiming to promote that they could get you off uh, off your medications or promise you a better life without pills, I think just put a lot more burden in front of people who are living with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes, you know, because they increase the idea that you have to change and what you did is wrong and there's a sense of regret and blah, blah, blah. And I just honestly don't think it's fair. For the last couple of years, thanks to our poet Lorraine Brooks, we've always kind of tried to focus on a no-judgment zone and not really putting on any unnecessary burden or blame or shame on anyone. So if you're on medications and you're managing your diabetes well, Please don't change a thing. However, tonight, if you are interested in learning how to cut back on medications, including diet pills or laxatives, maybe you want to become a more mindful eater. I'll be talking to one of my guests about that. And if you're a man living with diabetes and you want to have a healthy erection, maybe it's time to push away the Viagra pills and find out how managing your blood sugars in a better way could help you have a more interesting and active sexual life. Um, I'll be talking to one of my friends and experts about that 
as well as if you're having anxiety or dealing with depression. Maybe a furry friend could help you cut back on those medications, and we'll be talking to an expert later on in this show about that. So there's going to be a lot going on tonight. We're going to be talking a little bit about how the holidays, as happy as they are, could be depressing for many as well as if you're dealing with making a New Year's Eve resolution around cutting back on medications, which might be the ones you can or can't, or should or should not decide to cut back on. And again, if you are thinking about this at all, the first step in doing that would be talking to your doctor, a healthcare professional, and gaining their support as you achieve that goal. I was inspired tonight because two friends of mine cut back on their blood pressure medication and their oral medication for type 2 diabetes. And because of their stories and what I heard from them all year long as I watched these transformations, I wanted to tackle this topic. However, that might not be right for everyone. And again, I cheer you on, support you, and want to connect you to the experts as you continue to manage your diabetes in a healthy, happy way. Tonight, joining me on the show are diabetes alert dog expert Debbie Kay, Migret Fletcher, the founder, one of the co-founders of the Mindful Eating centers, uh, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, Janice Rosler is back, one of the best-selling authors who talks about sex and diabetes more frankly than I do, and uh, producer, Emmy Award-winning producer, Linda Bracero morell will be telling her story, as well as poet Lorraine Brooks and Mama Rosemarie will be joining me for a sparkling conversation and chatter on this lovely podcast dedicated to all our listeners out there during the holidays. Now, please take a minute before... We go into our next song and donate to DivaBetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Our December Diva inspiration, Leona Lewis, was the season three winner of The X Factor in the United Kingdom. She says that the Motown sound reminds of her the kind of music that her family played at home during the holidays. Well, here's her cover of a Phil Spector uh, popular song. Let's take a listen. Jack the Halls, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Later on tonight, we're going to be giving away a six-month free access to the My Sugar Pro in our Instant Winner Challenge. According to Healthline.com, the My Sugar app tracks everything you need in one place, from your meals to your moods. It also creates monthly reports to share with your doctor. Plus, using your inputs throughout the month, the app will help you estimate your next H, uh, A1C reading so you can be prepared when you go to your doctor's visit. Now, that's being a healthcare active ad advocate, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be giving that away. So let, stay tuned. At the end of the show, we'll be doing our instant winner challenge. It's December, so it's hard to believe it's the end of the year, and it's time to look back and announce our top three podcasts before we meet my first guest. Uh, coming in at number three, 
was our March Diabetes Late Night Podcast featuring Rachel Platten's music. Uh, on that show, we talked about morning routines to help you manage your diabetes in a more powerful, meaningful way. And I interviewed a Broadway diva who was living with type 1 diabetes about managing your diabetes under the spotlights. Hmm, you might want to tune into that. Number two in our and favorite podcast of 2016 was our February Diabetes Late Night Podcast inspired by Tamar Braxton. I think that was before Tamar was uh, let go from the real TV show. Anyhow, on that show, we talked about sexy shoes that won't hurt your feet with podiatrist Monique Roll and gave away several pairs of free shows, shoes throughout the month, uh, courtesy of the Earth brand shoes. And now it's time to announce the fan favorite for 2016, the envelope, please. Thank you, Lorraine, for playing the drums. Uh, it was back in July. It was my Mr. Divabetic show on premenstrual dysphoric disorder, other known as PMDD. I don't think it should be surprising to anyone to learn that our top podcast for a national diabetes nonprofit organization dedicated to women was a visit to the gynecologist's office until you realize I was the one going. But I think why this podcast was so well-received is because we had a fantastic, very friendly gynecologist uh, as my special guest, Dr. Andrea Chisholm, who's been on several shows. She does such a great job talking about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of PMDD. Also, she was discussing menstrual cycles, menopause, and diabetes, which is a, to a topic that I don't think it's covered enough. And we also had some really wonderful testimonials about um, different areas in your cycle as well as your menstruation with several of the women from our DivaBeta community. And I think that really uh, hit home for a lot of women. So I'm thrilled to announce that I'm going to be going back to the gynecologist next Tuesday, December 20th, for my last po podcast of the year. And joining me will be Dr. Andrea Chisholm. Lorraine Brooks will be joining me. Connie Elder, who's the founder of Peak 10 Skin Care, will be joining us. Plus, I have some other special guests because I kind of wanted to extend this show to cover some different issues, so much going on in the world. So we'll be talking to women in government and um, – as well, uh, I've got like four guests coming up on that show. So I have the woman in government, and we'll be talking about Medicare and what might be changing with Paul Ryan, how that might be affecting you with your diabetes. So it might be a little bit political, but I think it should be a good show, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll also be featuring more of Leona Lewis's music off of the Christmas with Love CD, so courtesy of Sony Music. But now, after all of that, what a buildup, uh, it's time to welcome... One of our cast members who's a regular on the show, we're so proud to have her uh, come back week a month after month. It's going to be week after week this month, but uh, to share some insight and some inspiration with all of you, please welcome poet Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm great and always happy to see you and hear your wondering. voice. I was wondering what happened to the studio audience. They didn't give me my applause. I, I was boring them to tears tonight, so they kind of stepped out. Uh, oh. Okay. Well, I'm so Thank you. <laughs> I think they agreed with me. <laughs> no respect on this show. Um, <laughs> you know, tonight, Lorraine, I promised everyone I was going to put them in the hot seat. 
and ask you a tough question to find out okay. if I'm naughty or nice. So can I ask you, I want to just kick off and ask you the question so, because people always think this stuff is rehearsed and it really isn't. <laughs> okay, go for it. All right, well, you know, this is the time of year where I try to be thankful, grateful, and extend some wishes with good share. But the truth is, like, um, it's tougher than it looks to kind of write, sit down and write a letter to someone that has a meaningful message, whether it's on a card that I buy from uh, Papyrus or it's on an arrangement for flowers. And I was wondering, like, what your question is, how could someone like me create a more personalized message for the holidays? What would, what would be your recommendation? Well, Max, my recommendation is always just to speak from the heart. I think that you have a, a wonderful way of expressing yourself. Uh, you do it every week or every month on your podcast. You're never lost for words, and um, I know that um, uh, having spoken to you not just on the air but off the air, uh, that you you have you have you're very much in touch with how you feel about things and uh, the way that you see life. And so I, I don't think my advice for you would be just to speak from your heart and say what you feel and use words that that are important to you. I like that. Thank you. That's, I'm going to take that to heart. I'm writing my cards tonight, actually. I'm a little bit procrastinating because there's two podcasts this month, but I, I will get them done. <laughs> I, I think so. Well, you know, it's been a, last time we did a podcast, I, I, have to, we, I want to talk about this for a minute. It was on election night. It's been a whole month after the election. Uh, a lot has changed for a lot of people. Uh, some people are thrilled. Others are not. And, um, you know, so next week we're taking action and we're talking about some of the issues focused around women's health that could be challenging for people in the next four years. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm so thrilled to have you because we're going to be talking about domestic violence because there's been a rise in hate crimes going on in the country. And I, and I do think it's important to keep telling people what the options are and the resources available. Well, um, I'm just going to correct you gently for a moment and to say that uh, domestic violence has nothing to do with hate. Um, it, it, it has to do with control, and um, uh, it doesn't even have to do with love. It really has to do with control. So um, I, I just want to say that. But, yeah, you're right. This is a time when a lot of people uh, feel very uh, dis disgruntled and disenfranchised, and there's a lot of... Um, uh, people are struggling with what's going to happen, um, not just in their personal lives, but what's going to happen, you know, to the country in general as, as we move forward. And things are going to change, and uh, they may change in ways that some people are not going to be happy about. So I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing the show next week. I think we have to talk about these issues. I'm approaching a milestone birthday this month myself, and um, I just uh, became eligible for Medicare. I, I don't even know how that happened, but anyway, um, I just became eligible for Medicare. And so I'm listening very closely to the, to the changes that people are talking about because um, one of the things I may have to give up is my, well, I will have to give up probably, is my continuing uh, continuous glucose monitoring because Medicare does not pay for that. So that's already something that is going to change my life uh, quite a bit, and I, I suspect that there are other things that are coming down the pike that may uh, may impact not only me but a lot of people like me. So I think it's wonderful that you're doing the podcast, and I think it's great to you know you have to have a dialogue. We have to talk about things; otherwise, nothing will get fixed. 
Absolutely, and these are the meaningful conversations that people want us to have. We do get a lot of emails from people in our Diva Better community asking more about um, what's how their uh, health insurance, what's what their how their coverage, what might happen, what could happen, what will happen. So uh, we'll be talking to a bunch of experts about that, and then also dealing a little bit next year with food safety and learning more about the the food we eat, where it comes from the growers, and um, some of those things, which I think, uh, again, people have asked for that, so I'm thrilled that we'll be kind of heading a little bit in that direction. Now, this month, uh, though, we're talking about this kind of slippery soap topic you heard me mention at the top of the show about kind of scaling back on pills, going off pills. You've seen the ads. Everyone, uh, every time you see anything on TV directed at uh, diabetes, and they always go general, they don't really classify type 1 or type 2, they seem to be promoting this idea of get off meds, get off meds. How do you feel about that? Well, I have a couple of things to say because, number one, I'm a type 1, so I kind of have to tune out a lot of that stuff because, like you said earlier about your older brother, um, there's really nothing that I'm going to be able to do to change the fact that I have to take insulin. So um, that's something that I've accepted, and um, people don't understand. I think a lot there's a lot of misconception about diabetes, even even in the diabetes community. And I don't think people understand the, the real difference between type one and type two. So I'm always getting a lot of advice from people too. You know, when they see me doing things, or they see me using my pump, or you know, I talk about what what I want to eat or don't want to eat. And people are constantly giving me advice and telling me how they got off of medication or someone they know got off of medication. And and to me it can be very frustrating because that I know that that does not apply to me. And it's also kind of frustrating because to explain that to people, they don't always understand it. Um, and, and so I, I can feel very frustrated about that on a personal level. But I do know that, and I've seen people in my own life and I've heard of people who have been very successful in changing their lifestyle and changing certain things about their eating habits and maybe getting more exercise and doing things that that have been very successful at either um, decreasing or getting off of their meds altogether. So I think, you know, if if it's going to work for you, that's great. And, And if you're one of those people that it can work for, that's great. But I think we have to be careful to say that there are some people for whom that's not going to work, and that's okay too. And, um, you know, uh, to, to, to educate people, I, 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 I hate to, you know, keep beating the same drum, but um, I, I think education is important. And I think when people make comments, we have to be the ones, we, we people with diabetes have to be the ones to try and educate people as to why some of those things may not always be appropriate for everybody. Well, and you've done it in a meaningful and inspiring way with your new poem. Um, so I'm excited to hear what you have to share with us tonight. Well, you know, remember when iPhones first came out and, and apps were first getting popular, and every time you said anything to anybody, they would say, well, there's an app for that. So the name of my poem is There's a Pill for That. We live in a world where appearances rule, and it's what we look like that matters. People make comments that sometimes are cruel and can leave our emotions in tatters. We live in a world where performances reign, and if we are lacking or tired, or even if we are in physical pain, we still want to do what's required. 
We're told there's a pill for whatever we lack, from energy to building breasts. There's something that soothes your aching back. There's something that helps you to rest. There's something to aid with your bloating and gas. There's pills that will keep you from eating. There's medicine that makes erections to last and stuff that will aid with excreting. So off to the pharmacy, scripts to be filled and looking for fixes and cures. Just one more tonic or two of these pills and perfection of health can be yours. But all of these things, while they may work for some, they also may lead to frustration. There are some things you can't easily overcome by relying on quick medication. But also there's people who may need these aids for reasons that suit their conditions. And those are the people we shouldn't dissuade from listening to their clinicians. For me, I am different as one is my type. And I get confused and defeated. Because if I listen to all of the hype, I sometimes feel like I've been cheated. Pills and elixirs and lifestyle adjusting are not part of my repartee. What I need is knowledge that people are trusting that I'm making choices best for me. So here's my two cents, and it's just my own take. Everyone's life is unique. Do what works for you. The decisions you make will put you on your own winning streak. The end of the sh- the end of the year with a wow, Lorraine. That's a great poem. Exactly. I love that you covered this topic so well. What we'll be talking about for the rest of the night. I appreciate it. I always appreciate having you on the show. And I know from myself and everyone else who works on diabetes late night in the diabetic community, we want to wish you a happy birthday. Thank oh, thank you very much. And I also want to say to everybody, happy holidays. Whatever you celebrate. Be safe, and um, I'm looking forward to a healthy and happy 2017 and more work with Divabetic. Thank you, Max. And we are too. And you know, Lorraine, I'm a holiday music junkie, so our delicious December Diva inspiration. Leona Lewis came out with this album, Christmas with Love, um, on Sony Music, and she co-wrote a lot of the songs, including this next one called Mr. Right. Let's take a listen. Love it. Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. That was Leona Lewis, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Did you know that of the estimated 108 million dieters in America, 82 of them claim to try to lose weight by taking diet pills, fat burners, or laxatives, um, which guarantee big results in no time? Well, my next guest believes that by being a more mindful eater, you could ditch those quick fixes and achieve long-term results. Please welcome to the show the president and co-founder of the Mindful Eating Center, Migrit Fletcher. Hello, Migrit. I know she's there. Hi, Max. Hello. How are you? Oh, hi. 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 Hi.
I love following you on Twitter. You post the best stuff, and I, I hope more people find out about you because I just think you're sensational. Thank you very much for the kind words. Feelings mutual. You know, when I reached out to you about doing the show tonight, um, and we were going to talk a little bit about depression and holidays, you said, Max, you know, why don't you cover shame? Because that's something you did in one of your um, webinars recently that's available for people, which we'll tell them a a little bit about later. But, you know, you wanted to tackle the shame issue, and I think that applies to a lot of people living with type 1, type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, and food right around the holidays. It really does, and and shame is a universal experience that that everyone has. We can all relate to it, and I think that it can find the commonality. So as we think about the holidays and we think about, you know, the good that's happening in the holidays, we can also connect and say everyone's had a bad holiday. Everyone's had a time where they weren't their best, you know, whether they were sick or they were struggling or away from home. And how do we handle that feeling of, of not having a great holiday, and how do we do it while managing a chronic illness like diabetes? No, you're right. And it, it just seems that, um, you know, everyone, I know a lot, we've talked about this before, but a lot of people are out to sabotage you around the holidays, it seems, if you, you know, with their best intentions. I know my office is filled with a lot of junk food. I know when people go home for the holidays, their mom or their favorite aunt or their sister loves to bake them their favorite thing from their childhood, which may not apply to today. So how, how, what are some tips to being more mindful through this period of uh, the holidays, which, you know, obviously stretched a couple of weeks ago and is going all the way into the new year? Well, I think the, the first one, because we were talking about mindfulness as it related to shame, is really breaking the should habit. Um, I think the should habit, we should all over ourselves, and we just really need to stop. The holidays are a time to enjoy, and beating ourselves up around the holidays doesn't work. So, you know, how you should be, who you should be, and what you should be, those are all really great examples of how we can should on ourselves. And becoming aware of the should habit is very, very helpful to build what we call shame resilience, to not let these difficult situations get us down. So if you can be mindful of the should habit, um, that's step one. And, of course, what do you do once you notice that you're shutting on yourself? And I think that, you know, you and your guests have done just such, such a terrific job. But it's really talking about that authenticity. It's about connection. It's about reaching out to organizations that support you and people, places, poetry, words that really let you know I'm okay and I'm going to make it. So how do we do that? We reach out to people like you, Max, to organizations and support groups. Well, I agree with that. I I don't know if you saw recently on Tumblr, um, someone posted they're like in their early 20s. They've been very suicidal all year long from their diagnosis. They were diagnosed at the beginning of the year and they've definitely had moments of suicide. And I sometimes think one of the issues here is that people don't really place us uh, around us, don't put a significance on a diabetes diagnosis. It doesn't seem to get the same amount of respect as a lot of other chronic conditions or cancers or things like that. And I think that immediately begins to play into this whole thing we're talking about, that it's just like a touch of sugar. What are your opinions about that? 
absolutely. We, we've actually had this conversation at the support group that I run um, and really just talking about how, you know, acute illnesses are kind of very dramatic. But this chronic illness, this is really the marathon. This is the grind. This is the thing that just doesn't have a break. And so when we talk about diabetes, people think that you can cure it, that you caused it. Nobody caused diabetes. It is not something that anyone says, hey, I want to do this to myself. So that first thought, again, arm yourself, get your friends to help people understand Diabetes is not something you chose. It's something that happened to you. And we can't run away from our parents. We can't run away from our genetics. We can't run away from, you know, our body having illness. That's just part of what is, it's like to be human. What we can do, though, is really recognize that in these places of pain and shame is to reach out and to create that connection. Listen. And hear those people that are struggling because they do struggle and they struggle in ways that, you know, we've struggled, I've struggled, we've all struggled. We can find that, that place of empathy within us to reach out and grab them and say, hey, I hear you. And it isn't you have to give any advice. You don't have to say, this is what I would do. Just listen. That's really where the healing begins. No, I think that's great advice, but I have to say I think it's an uphill battle because, you know, next week I'm going to the gynecologist, but most of the time I'm in I am I don't go to the gynecologist and I I frequent men's bathrooms when I go to the airport and I'm in the bathroom and I could hear people talking in the in the stalls on their phone and I think that's the beginning of the breakdown of being mindful, like people don't even take quiet moments with themselves anymore. You know, when I'm on the subway in New York City, everyone's so entertained by their phone. It just seems like everything on social media is counterintuitive to this idea of being mindful, that when you sit down to eat, we're multitasking. It's not like we, you can't just eat anymore. You should be able to eat, compose an email, play your favorite game, watch a movie. I mean, that even when you're on the airlines, that's what it's all about, right, is they feed you while you're watching movies and things like that. Like, you're not supposed to have quiet moments anymore. Exactly, exactly. And that can create a lot of stress within us because if our mind is ping-ponging around and our thoughts are just kind of like a big ping-pong moving from one idea to the other, that can be really exhausting. And yeah, it may be entertaining, but like you said, there's no rest, there's no downtime, there's no time to get that energy back. So as we think about mindfulness and we think about bringing, bringing our awareness forward, really, just like you said, Max, it's calming down, getting a little space to listen to all of the wisdom and the knowledge that we have within us and respect that, what we're listening to. And also in the holidays or when we're out with friends and we're doing other things, when we're mindful of the foods that we're eating, we get to enjoy them. We get to really taste and savor the food. So it really is special. It creates great memories because we really enjoyed the experience of eating versus tried to watch a movie, tried to compose an email and do all those other things that you were mentioning. Well, I think being mindful is a is a big um, 
is a great habit and it's a great goal, but I think it takes a, a lot of time and, and energy to direct yourself that way. And I'm wondering, like, what would be um, what you would recommend as like the first step in tor- in trying to be more mindful in a in a in the first step in journeying towards becoming more mindful about what you're eating so that you can really take um, charge of your diabetes health. Sure. The the steps that I've outlined in the book, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat With Diabetes, start with a mindful eating cycle. And just the first question, why? Why am I eating? Am I eating because I'm hungry or am I eating because food's here? Am I eating because this is what I really want or am I eating because it's offered? So just start asking those curious questions really is the great place to start. And, mindful and what happens if I answer eating. that question and it has nothing to do with nurturing, uh, nourishing my body? What if I say, um, I'm eating chocolates because I'm frustrated at work? Perfect. So that information just told you something. You can turn around and say, I'm going to eat the chocolates, and is it going to fix the frustration, or am I going to eat the chocolates and, you know, feel better for that, you know, moment? And so there's choices that occur as we look at our food and eating. And I eat mindlessly, and I eat for emotional reasons. And the awareness that I'm doing that can often have a big impact on the amount that I eat, on the foods that I eat. But the, the fact that I'm aware, it becomes a choice versus a habit versus a reaction. And if I choose to eat mindfully, that's my choice. I'm an adult. I get to do that. But if I'm reacting and I'm acting by kind of this invisible hand of habit, hmm, I don't know that I'm doing these things. I'm blind to that. So it's hard to change what you don't know it's present. I love that. Great advice. All right, I have one more question before we wrap up. Migrant, you're in the hot seat. You know, right. better. we love our divas, and at Christmas we love one diva more than any other diva, Mariah Carey. I love Leona too, but Mariah is our Christmas diva. And I don't know if you saw this, but I'm an avid People magazine reader, and her weight loss tip is eating nothing but Norwegian salmon and capers. I'm not making this up. She, uh, it, it came out. It's in her new documentary thing on E, TV, uh, on the E Network. She talks about it. Uh, millions of women living with diabetes and those who aren't living with diabetes are going to hear Mariah Carey's weight loss tip: nothing but Norwegian salmon and capers. And I'm just wondering, you're a registered dietitian as well as a certified diabetes educator. What's your opinion on that? It, it sounds like a lot of protein and not a lot of, of anything else. So it's not representing the research that we have talking about the benefits of a balanced diet. And so if someone, if someone came to you with that diet, uh, what, what, what should they, I mean, how do you advise someone who's even considering that? Where, where should they go? What should they turn to? What, what is it about that diet that appeals to you? I want to understand what our motivation is because most of the time we take on change because we want to help ourselves. And if we think, hey, it helped Mariah Carey, why won't it help me? I, I don't know Mariah Carey's health situation. Maybe she doesn't have diabetes. We're individuals. And, you know, as an individual, we have to look at our individual needs. And I recognize the desire to help ourselves. 
I recognize the desire to care for ourselves, and I support it. I applaud it just like you do. The question is how. What's the right answer for me? And it's not reading it in People magazine. It's about talking with your healthcare professional. It's about getting the information that works for your body and really, and really acting on it to say, okay, what do I need? Maybe salmon's part of that solution. Maybe capers are part of that solution. Let's work with a dietitian. Let's work with your diabetes educator to help you get that met. I love it. Tell everyone about the book and how they can find out more about you. You're sensational. We have to have you back in 2017 multiple times. Thank you so much. The book is called Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat with Diabetes. It uses the mindful eating cycle that award-winning physician, Dr. Michelle May, developed. It's a great program, comprehensive, so it really covers everything from eating to exercise, medication, stress management, the whole gamut. Nice introduction to mindful eating. And, again, it does not, you know, promote a specific food but really just awareness about why we're eating. And, of course, mindful eating is not a diet but a lifestyle, and that is very, very important. Max, you said earlier in the program mindfulness is hard. What a great way to start a mindfulness practice with, with when you eat. We eat so many times in a day. You can be practicing mindfulness two, three, four, six, ten times every day. doesn't have to be long. could be as short as a minute five minutes, we're finding that short bouts of meditation, short bouts of attention, trains the brain, changes neurosynaptic connections. It's really amazing stuff from the neuroscientists that are talking about the benefits of mindfulness and mindful eating. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Happy holidays to everybody. All right, and on that note of spending some quiet time alone, we've inspired our next song from our diva inspiration, Leona Lewis. Let's listen to the popular Christmas carol composed in 1818 that's been translated into 140 languages. It's time to hear Leona's rendition of Silent Night. Silent Night, holy Late night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and that was Leona Lewis's take on Silent Night. Uh, we're going to quickly change gears. If your bedroom's been silent, my next guest could probably help you out. She's a 
best-selling. I like to think she's a best-selling author because I recommend her books to everyone in the Diva Betta community, uh, especially at our Diva Betta Club meetings. And I'll be hosting another one this Thursday at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. But it's time to meet family therapist, diabetes educator, and author Janice Rosler. Hello, Janice. Hey, Max. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Hi, everybody there. Great audience. Great guests. Uh, it's been fun. They're, I've been they're listening. fabulous tonight. We're, <laughs> they're thrilled to have you back. You know, I wanted you on the show tonight because we're talking about, like, taking one less pill, or as Lorraine said so beautifully earlier, uh, there's a pill for that. Well, when it comes to erectile dysfunction, there actually are several pills for that. And when I did my men's outreach program in October, it seemed like there was a um, uh, a jump-off point from people thinking that a pill could solve every, everything to understanding how maybe managing your diabetes could actually help you solve um, things in the bedroom. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that with you tonight. I think I think it's great to talk about that because... One thing that is really interesting to note is that men with diabetes do not tend to respond well to these pills. Um, They only work in about 50% of men with diabetes, so a lot of men are very disappointed and don't understand why they're not having improvement or they get some improvement for a little while and then it doesn't continue. So the pills really may not be the best option if you are a man with diabetes. And the good news is there are other options. And, uh, you know, other choices that are not pill-involved, certainly a vacuum kind of uh, device that uh, takes us to uh, Austin Powers. Didn't he pack that in his uh, his bag in the movie? Yeah, the one with the British flag on it, I think it had. Anyway, the vacuum device is something you don't need a prescription for, but it does take some practice to use it. That's one thing. Uh, there are other medications that include injections or that go right into the penis. Sounds horrible, but works very well. Um, suppositories that you insert at the tip of the penis with, with a little kind of inserting tool. Again, sounds a little out there, but it can be very, very effective. But I want to get to some of the lifestyle stuff. Like you said, uh, improving Blood glucose levels, we know there is a very, very strong relationship between a man's average blood glucose level, which is usually determined, uh, evaluated by the A1C blood test that he should be taking approximately every three months at his doctor's office, and that, that tells his average blood glucose level, blood sugar level for the past three months. If he's running high, And we consider a good range, usually anything under 7%. That's how it's measured. But if he tends to run high, if his blood sugar is running higher than it should be, higher than the target range he's discussed with his healthcare provider, he's at much greater risk of having erection problems. And if he can get his blood sugar into a healthier range, there's an excellent chance that his his sexual issues will improve dramatically. So that's uh, that's one great thing. Really, watch Can I ask the. You a question? If, yeah. if, if you consider the penis to be an extremity, and we know that diabetes sometimes affects the extremities first, is that like a warning sign for someone too that if they're having erectile issues, that they they might 
be pre-diabetes or might have diabetes, and they just have, and it's it's kind of something to look into. I know it's a embarrassing taboo topic. I understand that a lot of men don't want to address that in the seven minutes they have with their doctor, but it it actually could be a warning sign, could it not? It could be a warning sign for a few things. It doesn't get into that category of extremities because sometimes guys get tingling in their in their feet numbness in their feet, that's what usually happens when we talk about the extremities and also sometimes okay. in their hands. But if you are having erection problems, there are some, uh, that's a warning sign of a lot of things. Uh, one thing is it could be a situation that's, that's very common in men with type 2 diabetes, and that's low testosterone level. And if you don't know that you have type 2 diabetes and all of a sudden you're having some sexual problems, you're not getting an adequate erection when you want it, you may have low testosterone because you, in fact, do have type 2 diabetes. So the, the lesson really is if you are having, in the tr- having trouble in the bedroom, don't be quiet about it. Don't just live with it. Go and talk to your healthcare provider and run and run some tests and see what's going on with your body. That's really important. Um, well, as a family is, therapist, I'm just curious: how does this conversation ever come up? And if it does, uh, when does it come up? Like if if uh, couples are having problems, to, because I've read the statistics: most men with erectile dysfunction don't seek help you know they kind of i don't know i guess they ignore it or pretend like it's not there so i'm just curious does this ever come up in your in your family therapist um therapy sessions it does come up and i'll tell you why because uh, i make a real effort to create a comfortable environment now i see clients for close to an hour that's not the same thing as seeing uh, a medical doctor who you might see for 10 minutes, if, if you even see him or her for that long. So it's very different. I have the opportunity to, to really g- gain the trust of the people I'm with, to spend time talking, to get to things that they're uncomfortable about speaking. Um, whereas if you want to talk to your doctor, you've got to prepare for that conversation. The doctor may not bring it up because in such a limited amount of time you can only talk about so many things, and I'm sure the physician has a list already about what should be taken care of, and you may not get the courage to talk about it. Sometimes they talk about um, erection problems as being what we call a doorknob topic, which means that as the doctor's leaving the exam room, puts his or her hand on the doorknob to to open the door to leave, all of a sudden the man will say, um, excuse me, I, could I talk to you about one more thing? And the problem is there isn't enough time to do it justice. They've got to move on to the next patient, which unfortunately, you know, that's how our healthcare system goes. We can't, the days of Dr. Welby where he'd sit there and, you know, for hours just doesn't exist, if anyone remembers Dr. Welby. But, uh, right, but also, be. you know, we have a large female audience. So a lot of women, I would think, you know, we still live in these kind of crazy societal norms where women aren't supposed to talk about sex or a desire for sex. So that's a doorknob conversation for her, too, that my husband 
is having an, has an inability to get hard and have intercourse with me, and how does she approach that? I would think that would be as, as difficult as it is for the man. I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of times it's the woman who reports it, and you're right. It's a difficult topic, and it's a shame, but this is something that we tend to be awkward about. So to bring it up, there's actually a few ways to do it that might make people feel more comfortable, male or female. When you come, arrive at the office and you sign in, say, uh, say to the nurse or to the person there, I have something really important that I'd like to make sure the doctor talks to us about. And if you have to, slip a note, put it in an envelope, or give it to the nurse when she, he or she comes in to, to check you know, temperature and blood pressure. Say, could you please make sure the doctor talks to us about this issue. And another thing, too, is hopefully the doctor will be sensitive enough if you're really uncomfortable to say just those kind of vague words, doctor, we've got something personal we have to discuss. And you kind of give that look. And usually they can read that and go, oh, what? You know, we know that personal can cover a few topics. So that may help also. But the bottom line is you are not the first person to bring up this topic and you will not be the last person that the doctor hears it from. Doctors are trained to hear these things. Unfortunately, they don't always get around to asking. So please do not be shy. You benefit. And I know it's a moment of discomfort, but, boy, you can get information that can totally change your life. All right, so before we wrap things up, I have your hot topic for the night. You're in the hot seat. Okay. I was reading that the recent presidential election isn't just making dinner conversations awkward. It's also ruining women's sex drives, especially for those leading Democrat. They're fighting, uh, they're fighting more and more with their spouses and are seen as less likely to want to have sex with them. What are your thoughts on that? And how could someone who's listening who might be in the red and blue states in the bedroom uh, find a middle ground? Okay. Well, does that include my bedroom? No. I'll tell you what we did. I'll tell you what, <laughs> what I suggest. Um, yes, it was a boy. Was it a rough election? I think everyone feels battered and bruised on both sides. But here's the thing: please make a place in your life where politics is not discussed. And I hope that that place will include your bedroom. Make a rule: we don't talk politics here. We have fun. This is our playground. The bedroom should be kind of the sandbox for adults. This is the fun place. We don't talk about it. If you want to talk politics, make an appointment with each other and set a time to do it because the tendency is that you want to talk about it when you may maybe see something intense on, on TV or you hear something on the radio and you're all ready to discuss it. And your partner may not be in the mood to discuss it. So here you have one person raring to go, the other person not in a mood for it, and then it turns into a fight. Um, so make an appointment. Say, when would be a good time to talk about this? Are you up for talking about this? And that way you, you can separate the political discussions into their own little space. And another thing is make time for non-political activities. And I'm not just talking about the bedroom. Go on a date. Go to a movie. A lot of movies are being nominated for Oscars. Go see the movies. Go have fun. Go play tennis. Do something physical together outside or go for a walk. Make a date. Spend time 
where you do not talk politics and where you reconnect as a couple and you start to do romantic things again and you appreciate each other. And I'll tell you, there is a great um, – John Gottman is an incredible couples therapist. And what I just heard on a seminar that I, that I heard he and his wife give – um, there's three things to do if you want great sex. One is ask your partner, each other, open questions about who they are, their lives, what do they care about. If you both went out to dinner, don't just say, did you like the fish? Say, ask, what did you like about that restaurant? What was your favorite thing? Ask questions about their childhood. Ask questions about other things. What's your favorite book? Continue to get to know each other. That's one of the things. The next thing is really give words of, of appreciation and admiration. Make sure you tell your partner how much you appreciate them and how much you admire some of the wonderful things that they bring to your life and that they do and the talents they have. And the third thing is when your partner wants your attention, turn towards them. Don't turn away. Don't ignore. Don't say, I'm busy. But actually turn and say, oh, okay, what do you, what do you want to, what do you mean? What are you showing me? And if you don't have time, we'll say you're in the middle of something and you're very engrossed in it. You might even be watching a baseball game or whatever. Sorry, whatever season this is. Um, and your partner goes, wow, look at that bird out in the window. If you are engrossed in something, you don't want to talk and have a long conversation. All you need to do is turn toward the window, go, huh, look at that and then get back to what you're doing. But what you've just done is you've validated what they said. You've shown them that they're important enough to interrupt you for a split second, and you go back to what you're doing. And if you do those three things, research according to the Gottman couple, there is research that shows that you will have better sex. How do you like that? I can't write it down fast enough. I'm going to have to re-listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want it, though. So it's, tonight it's not just be about being a mindful eater. It's also about being a mindful partner. I love that. Thank you so much, Thank Janice, exactly. for being on the show. Love having you. Um, it's time to welcome my next wonderful, wonderful certified diabetes educator. She's with us every month. We're always so thrilled to have her join us. Please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle to the conversation. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Meg. How are you? I've got a hand cramp from writing down Janice's tips on uh, better sex. <laughs> I don't know about you. Um, uh, I'm great. We could talk you about have that a lot later of wonderful like, tips. Off, off, off phone. Um, you know, tonight we're talk I wanted to talk to you about insulin because I mentioned at the top of the show. There's this. You know, there's people always put this uh, quest for fire in, pr in front of people with diabetes about going off their meds, and of course. As Lorraine and I both mentioned, people with type 1 can't go off of insulin. Uh, there are some things out there going on with advancements, but right now for the vast majority, that's not an option. Um, and I wanted to talk about that because it seems to me that the cost of insulin is rising, rising, rising. So the, the, the want to get off of insulin it would be greater and greater and greater. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to know, I know we discussed this several weeks ago, you were going to do some research, what you wanted to report back and, and what you wanted to say about that as well as that claim that seems to be so pervasive in our community about going off meds. 
Well, in my research, Max, I was really uh, kind of baffled because I, too, hear a lot about the cost of insulin as well as the cost of other medications. However, uh, currently I am working with a um, nonprofit agency where we do um, a prescription plan, a prescription assistance plan for people who are uninsured or maybe who may be underinsured, and um, monthly we receive a bill for the cost of their diabetes medications. So I went through some of our billing, um, monthly billing pages, and I really did not see where the cost of insulin had increased, and that really puzzled me. I must say that in our agency, we only pay for vials and syringes because um, it's cheaper, and I really thought that perhaps the the increased cost may be incurred in those who are purchasing um, the pens. So I talked with local pharmacists and had them to pull up the cost of their insulin pens, and to my amazement, the insulin pens have been stable over, you know, the cartridges for the pens have been stable over um, the last few years. Um, and what I am looking at when it comes to the long-acting insulins, Levamir or Lantus, I am looking at, actually I was astonished because, let's see, this bill is July 2015, and the price difference from 2014, actually it went down. So I have. I well, that's have funny. Tried. I mean, I love that we did. I love that you did your investigating. But the new analysis that I found said that it's more than tripled, from two hundred and thirty-one dollars to seven hundred and thirty-six dollars a year per patient when purchasing di- uh, insulin. So, I mean, do you think that's just regional? I know you're based out of Atlanta. We should tell people that. But do you think across the country it could change? Because I know there are a lot of people who really feel that this has become. Um, a, a sticking point, no pun intended, but it has become a sticking point for a lot of people with diabetes. I'm sure you, uh, Lorraine would probably have a comment about that. Patricia? Um, yeah, I, and I'm still looking here, but I'm looking at a November billing cycle, November 2016, and the price is actually – $100 less than what it was in 2014. Well, first, let's just go back then for a minute because I, I appreciate the research and I, and, I, uh, and I do think that's valid. And I hope people listening know that there are some chances that it could be going down. I think that's wonderful. But, you know, this, uh, the patent for insulin came out in 1921. The team that uh, discovered it, Banning and Best in Toronto, didn't want to profit from it. You know, so uh, th- they filed for the patent and they sold it for a dollar to the University of Toronto for three dollars, one dollar for each person listed on that patent. However, over the course of all these years, a new version of insulin keeps coming out to kind of challenge the price and challenge the cost and keep driving it up. And I know that there—I I know this is kind of political for some people. They're like, "Where are you going with this?" this Mr. Divabetic, but the truth is it is this is a big frustrating thing. I see it all the time on social media about people really ranting and raving about it. And your hotbed topic, you know, that I'm gonna give you a little later has to deal with insulin at the pharmacy. So 
what's your take on the history of insulin trying to keep that cost down because it's such a life-saving drug? Uh, it won the Nobel Prize, and today that it could be that that price is much more expensive than it was when my grandmother was taking it in the 50s. You're you're absolutely right, and there is a markup with most medications. I, I should say all medications, and I think as a consumer, the the smart thing to do would be to investigate and to. Um, like like you would do a consumer report when you buy a car. You're looking at the manufacturer's suggested retail price, and you also look at what it's retailing for. Try different chains. Uh, contact various pharmacies in your area. And also people who really, really do have a problem and where there is a barrier in receiving their insulin or any other diabetes medication, talk with your physician about perhaps medical assistance programs where you're able to go through the manufacturer and receive your insulin that way. Also, diabetes educators are real knowledgeable about local resources and what's available in the area where you live. And you may be right. You know, it could be a regional thing, whereas uh, in Atlanta I'm seeing a reduction. It may not be like that across the board, but I do feel that investigation is important and becoming an advocate for yourself and knowing exactly what those prices are and what they should be. I love that. It's like off of our mystery podcast we, where we tell people to investigate, investigate, investigate. I, love, I just appreciate you taking so much time and effort in researching that. Okay, it's time for your hot seat question, Patricia, then you're going to stick around for our games coming up. I don't know if okay. you could answer this, but this was posted on Facebook. It really affected me, and I wanted to see if you could answer it. And if you can't, uh, there are answers available online. But the, this was posed by a woman with type 1 diabetes. What does someone do when they go to the pharmacy to pick up their prescription for four vials of insulin, but the pharmacy only has one vial of, available at the time instead of the four? So you go back to the – so they say to you, come back in a few days when the truck comes, and they'll give you the other three vials. Well, if you call in to see if it's ready, you go down, they say it's ready, you go down to pick it up, and suddenly they say they can't give it to you because the insurance already billed that. They already billed the insurance for four. So now they're saying they already gave it to you and you'd have to pay more for those, uh, those other vials. What do you do in that moment? That's a real-life experience that I read on Facebook. My goodness. Well, actually, pharmacists are supposed to keep account and they're supposed to be able to account for where each vial of insulin went. So um, they should have, uh, you know, a mismatch. It's, it's not going to uh, work in the system that they gave you the insulin, but it's still there in the pharmacy. So with that count, they should be able to pick up on their mistake. But I would definitely talk with the pharmacist or with the person who, um, you actually purchase from who the person who approved your prescription and wrong it up, and the initials on the prescription label should indicate something that uh, is owed to you. So that's a way to get around that. The issue is with the pharmacy; it's not with you or your prescription coverage plan. And I would not give up on it. I would insist and become a stronger advocate for myself and make sure that that error is not made again. I guess by the time we finished our conversation and investigation, they would definitely remember me with the next purchase. I bet they would. I, you're like policewoman tonight. I'm, I'm the cagney <laughs> to your lacy. I love it. 
Well, stick around because we're going to be playing some games with Patricia Addy, Gentle, in a little while in our mystery guest. But right now, we've been talking all night about potentially cutting back on certain medications. Sometimes when you're down, all it takes is a furry friend to lift your spirits. But if, what if the stress runs a little deeper than that, if you're anxious and nervous to leave the house and find yourself depressed, even maybe suicidal? Can a dog really help in that matter? Well, here to discuss the topic is our good friend. She's a dog expert. We love having her back on the show. Please welcome Debbie Kay. Hello, okay. Debbie. You're the author of the, uh, the Super Sniffer Handbook, by the way, we should tell people, because... Uh, earlier this year, we did our Diabetes Mystery Podcast. It was about dementia and diabetes alert dogs. I called you as my expert to research the topic. Uh, we talked at length about that, and then you reminded me that you do have this great resource for people if they are interested in, in finding out more about diabetes alert dogs and how they could possibly train their own, correct? Yes, absolutely, and that's the whole point of it is to help people get good information so they could make wise choices. Perfect. All right, so uh, let's talk about this. Depression, anxiety, a lot of people love to pop a pill, but there could a pet really could change uh, things for them. You know from personal experience. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Oh, boy, I think I could talk all night about that subject. It's the one thing that probably keeps me motivated to keep on training these dogs is that I I meet people for the first time and I see people who are – downtrodden and, and they're they're struggling to to deal with the chronic uh, diseases like like type 1 diabetes and and you know they're just they're depressed and if you add to that that you're now a teenager uh, you know and you you have uh, additional issues of just going through that that uh, horrible stage of of the teens uh, and and you add all of those things together you're you're looking at people that are suicidal and and I've seen people that were overeaters I've seen people that were shut-ins that were were actually closing themselves into a very dangerous uh, shell and not talking at all to people. And we come along with a dog, and these are specially trained dogs. I have to say this so, so that your listeners you know, make that distinction in their minds. And we come along with these specially trained dogs, and we introduce them to that situation. And I have seen results that leave me with my head shaking and, and a tear in my eye. Uh, it's absolutely miraculous what they can do for people. Um, I, is, do I have How time like to share a few stories? Well, one, one of the stories is a young man who was a, a teenager, just graduating from high school, uh, not feeling really good about himself, about his diabetes, uh, you know, just really uh, uh, starting to shut down, uh, was under psychiatric care, and we introduced the dog into the picture, and within a year and a half, uh, this young man was off all medications, was out of therapy, released by his doctor, uh, had a job, was going back to school, was socializing, and doing all the normal things that a young man of that age should be doing. Um, probably so how did the dog specifically help him? The dog goes with unconditional love. The dog listens. The dog allows the person to be themselves. And the dog is always there. 
They're always there, and they always have that same attitude. They're happy to see you. They're happy to listen. They're happy to share your troubles, and they don't ask for a thing in return. They don't care. You know, it's like you have all the troubles in the world. Well, that's okay, buddy. I'll share it with you is, is what the dog says to the person. And sometimes that's the one thing that a person needs to help them get over that kind of state of mind. And this is uh, something that's been studied also in science, and we're doing a lot more research into that area. Uh, the Germans did two very, very interesting studies, uh, one in 1996 and the other one a couple of years later. And those studies showed that the effects, the positive effects of, of animals in, the, uh, in with people with different kinds of uh, health issues was absolutely dramatic. Uh, they've showed that their people have fewer doctor visits, fewer sick days off from work, fewer uh, missed appointments, uh, many, many positives. Now, I don't think there's ever been a study, or at least not that I've been able to find, about how much medication has been reduced. But I can tell you in the people that I deal with, uh, especially with the diabetics that I deal with, and I deal primarily with type 1 diabetics, that after they've had their dog for a year, if they follow through diligently with the program, we've seen a dramatic change and improvement in the A1C levels. And that's kind of a, a key guideline. Um, with the type 2. Can this help I've someone? Seen... What if they're not a dog lover? You know, like what if my Aunt Ruth is a shut-in, depressed, suicidal, and but she doesn't like dogs. Would this even be an option for her? Or, you know, it seems to me like I would completely knock this off the list right the minute my mom said, why don't we get her a dog? Because you don't have to get her a dog. Your mom's right. If she doesn't like dogs, don't get her a dog. You know, the dog isn't but, the right thing But, I thing mean, could it be an everybody. option for Have you seen it change in people who might not have liked animals kind of come over to the other side or no? I don't deal with those people, so I really can't answer that. I oh, wish I oh, could. That's an honest question. Doing, I mean, that's an honest answer. I love it. Yeah. No, well, I was just curious. Research, have you ever saw people, you know, when you train people with diabetes alert dogs or dogs for dementia or some of these, post, you know, other, um, I mean, specifically around diabetes, and they're not really pet people, but it, it, we have known, and you've, you've told us before, how they have helped people manage their highs and lows. I'm just curious, like, if anyone's ever had a hesitation about it, and you've seen that other, how it's changed both of them, and maybe a non-dog lover actually began to love the dog. You know, they just, it was just something they had in their head that, wasn't realistic right. well, I think, ultimately. I think what we need to do is maybe make a distinction here because, you know, one of the things that we're talking about is are, there are people who just love animals and they love right. dogs. And then there's people who say, eh, you know, I really don't care one way or the other, you know, if there's a dog in my life or not. But somebody told me, well, maybe having this diabetes alert dog would be a good thing. Now, those people aren't opposed to animals. They're just not overly in love with animals. And I have put dogs in situations with people like that who have never had a pet before, who are not particularly fond of dogs. Uh, very, they, I carefully, carefully select people like that because it has to be the right combination in order for this to work. But it does work. And those people never are really super fond of dogs, but they certainly take really good care of their dogs and they work with them. And I don't think I could ever get that dog away from those people. 
I love that. All right, it's time for your hot seat topic. I could, Debbie Kay, we have to have you back on a regular basis next year because I thoroughly enjoy you. Um, A lot of people are thinking about Christmas and putting gifts under the tree, including puppies. I want to know what you think of uh, puppies sold in pet stores and this alarming statistic about 99% of puppies sold in pet stores come from puppy mills. what is what are puppy mills, and should people be concerned about that? Well, you asked a couple of questions there, and boy, this is this is really a hot topic. But uh, number one, puppy mills. I'll, I'll answer that one first. Puppy mills are generally considered uh, commercial breeding facilities that just turn out numbers of dogs with no particular uh, breeding goals in mind, other than to just procreate puppies to sell. That's, that's generally considered what a puppy mill is. They may or may not do all of the health clearances, and, and that's where the problem comes in. When you're mass-producing puppies, you, you have puppies to sell. It looks like the breed of dog that you want to buy, but it may or may not be healthy, and it has not been selected to have all of the temperament characteristics or to uh, procreate you know, those good temperament characteristics that make that breed appealing to people. And that's where you come in with a lot of the problems. So, so no, puppy mills are kind of a bad idea. Uh, there's a lot of legislation against them, and they're very carefully regulated and looked at and uh, controlled. But, but going to the hotter topic here, which is buying a pet for someone as a gift, I think that's a lovely notion. I know there's a lot of people that want to do that because it's like, oh, my grandson or my granddaughter really wants a puppy, and I would love to get it for them. But I think this is something that has to be talked about. It's not, I mean, you're bringing a life into someone's household, and that life needs attention, and that's something that a lot of people forget about. They need, puppies need an education. They need to learn about the world. They need to have uh, uh, someone take over the job of their canine mother uh, when they move in with people, and there's a lot of work that goes into that. I can't tell you the number of hours that the puppy raisers put into making sure our service dog puppies get the right kinds of socialization and housebreaking, and they learn how to um, live with people, and they learn how to function in human society so that they're a pleasure to be around and not a burden. And so puppies at Christmas time, yeah, it's a great idea. Uh, you can't always find a puppy that's going to be ready to go home at Christmas. Uh, so, so you could always give like a gift card and say, okay, here's a gift card to get a puppy, and we're going to go out and go shopping and make sure we get the right breeder and the right breed, and we get a puppy when the time is appropriate for the family, if in fact it's appropriate that the family have a dog. I feel like the theme tonight is be more mindful, be a more mindful pet owner. Yeah, I think that's great okay. advice. I, I love the way you shared that about taking being the canine mother for these animals as well, and I hope people hear that. Great advice, Debbie Kay. Thank you so well, much for being you. on the show. I enjoy it very much, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. All right, because my, my, we will come back because I want to talk to you about just what dogs could do later on next year in 2017, something to look forward to. But in the meantime, I don't know about you, WK, but I love holiday music. One of my favorite songs is by Bing Crosby, 
the best-selling single oh. of all time, estimated sales of over 100 million copies worldwide. Well, guess what? Our December Diva Inspiration, Leona Lewis, decided to take it on. Here's her version of White Christmas. Oh. I'm Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight we've been talking about cutting back on your medications. Well, what if you were invited to walk the red carpet at the Emmy Awards? Would it inspire you to make some lifestyle changes, lose some weight, potentially stop taking your oral medications, maybe sign up for your first ever 5K race at Thanksgiving? Well, I'm so excited to welcome our next guest all the way from Los Angeles. Please welcome... Emmy Award-winning producer, Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, Max. Thank you so much for joining us. I have so much to talk to you about. I'm, I want to tell our listeners I'm good friends with your brother, Mark, who lives here in New York <laughs> City. And uh, so I've had the fortune of meeting both of you and your husband, Carlos. And I, I've heard this story, but I, I think it's so lovely. And um, first, I want to congratulate you on winning an Emmy as a producer. That's amazing. And uh, secondly, I want you to take us back to last year for applauding that win and, and, and how you changed your life from one Emmy award to the next. Um, It's actually started before the Emmys um, because I was nominated the year before and um, shoved myself into that dress. Like you would not believe. Uh, Do you, realize that there is such a thing as triple spanking, like triple spanks under a dress? <laughs> no, we actually asked the, the owner of a Lipo in the Box once if you could double your spanks, would they work? And she said no, but I've never heard of someone going three times oh, no. It is an industry secret. I was told by my costume designer that even a size two will triple spanks at any award show. I don't know how they do it. I think Viola Davis uh, was interviewed after she won an Emmy, and uh, and she said she could hardly wait to cut herself out of the dress. I kind of felt the same way. <laughs> you know, it was hot. It was uh, you're wrapped up. It was it, it's pretty painful. It's hard to enjoy the night. But um, so it started sort of the year before, and not really so much from the Emmys, but um, set life in general. Um, can be very unhealthy. Um, our craft service people and our caterers are always shoving food in your face like you've, like you're starving. Um, it's almost obscene the amount of food that we consume on set. And um, and so really, you, I, you talk about being mindful. We had to start making some changes. And for me, it was just a personal change, which is choices in getting my body moving because I will sit on set while we're shooting, I sit and watch a monitor for, you know, sometimes 10 hours at a time. So, um, 
Well, wait, so before you do, I was just back change. up about your, di- you know, your diabetes. You live in California, we told everyone. You started out working in music, doing different tours with Bed Miller, Chaka Khan. Then you kind of made the leap into production coordinating, working with Nickelodeon on several things, uh, USA, Comedy Central, TV Land, NBC. And then you, uh, you won for Key and Peele. Um, but yeah. So at, when you talk about being on the set, you were, you're actually a producer on – um, TVs and films, just so people know that. So now tell us a little yeah. bit about uh, the diabetes, like when were you were diagnosed and kind of then catch us up to this, because it's a great story, and I, sure. I think people will really appreciate it. Sure. Um, so just like every other person in my family on my mom's side, I was diagnosed um, when I was 32, which was right in the middle of sort of my music career. And um I thought it was weird that I was going, it's right when Starbucks first started popping up in airports and I was traveling so much. Um, I thought the idea of a, um, whatever their giant size is there, of a white chocolate mocha with a triple shot would be an amazing idea. And I would drink it and I'd fall asleep on the plane. And what I didn't know is that I was dosing myself with that syrup. <laughs> and um, so I started to have symptoms. I was diagnosed and they immediately put me on medication. So I've been taking, um, you know, the type 2 cocktail for for a number of years, like over over 12 years. Um, and so I, it seems like in the last five years, we just kept adding medication. And, um, you know, it went from pills to an injectable like Victoza and all kinds of stuff. And it was, it, it got a little maddening. And to be honest, I wasn't feeling good anymore. So, um, so that's when I, I, you know, I saw Orange Theory Fitness on like a Fox News Channel morning news thing, and they said, "Oh, work out for an hour and burn calories for up to 36 hours after that. You know, turn up your metabolism." And and I, uh, I was like, "All right, I'll, I'll buy into that." So they were opening a studio in Pasadena near my house, and. And uh, I dragged my husband over, and then we just became converts. <laughs> and that was before really taking care of the food thing happened, because I was going there, I was working out, and I thought, oh, my God, why am I not losing any weight? And my goal was to get off medication. And um, and I met this trainer there who really, I think, was one of the first people ever to get through to me. And she said, it's what you're eating. It's what you're putting in your mouth. It's very simple. Less in your mouth, move more, burn calories, lose weight, get off diabetes medication. And I heard you earlier talking about, you know, the quest for fire of getting off medication, but with type 2 diabetes, you know, there's always the, is it possible, is it not possible? It is possible. It's absolutely possible. In, no, in my you're the case, one, was, you know, anyway. you inspired me to do this talk because I do think a lot of people don't think it's possible. Like, you know, the woman you were 10, 12 years ago who was having a venti uh, white moat, you know what I mean? What probably was thinking this is the rest of her life, right? Sure. Sure. And so that woman we yeah, hope yeah. we're listening to tonight because you, 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 were, you did not exercise, right? I mean, I, you were probably fairly yeah. active, but you had a crazy schedule being on set life. So this orange theory that you're talking about is something that um, you do in L.A. It's also in New York. It's in several major cities, but it does make working out fun. It does. It does. And, 
you know, I mean, you. The thing is, like, you really, you really, uh, like, again, talking about mindfulness, you need to be in a, a state of mind where it's like, if you told, if you would have told me, eleven months ago, you're going to get up at four fifteen in the morning, you're going to go meet a trainer, you're going to work out for an hour, outside of Orange Theory, just a personal trainer for an hour. Then you're going to go home, you're going to shower, and you're going to do 16 hours on set. I would have said, yeah, right, who are you talking to? Um, but that's my life now, and that's what I do. I do it twice a week, and I go to Orange Theory, you know, two or three times a week. And I feel like if I'm not working out, I've gotten to this place of, like, like I crave it, you know. Um, what was the first small win the- for you, Linda, that you saw this as something you could do? Like, go back now. To that, you know, when you first started doing it, what was the first thing that kind of, like, you know, you felt like it, the ceilings, the skies opened up, and suddenly this was something that could be possible for you? Oh, that's very easy. Uh, in November 2015, um, I went and got an A1C test, and it was an 11.7. And my doctor said, I'm putting you on insulin. And I said, no way. There's no way. I've tried so many times to get off diabetes medication, but this was like, you're putting me on insulin? Like, this is not happening. And so I said, give me a month. Give me two months. Give me two months to try to make this happen. And in February, after I had started working out and being more careful with what I was putting in my mouth, um, in February of 2016, of this year, my A1C got down to a, a 7.8, which wow, that was congratulations. That was a win. That was a win because I was like, I can if I can do that, I could keep going. I can do more, and so that 7.8 became a 6.2, and you know, I gave myself a year. You know, I'm not rushing myself. I'm not trying to lose, you know, 60 pounds in two months. Like. It's it's a gradual. My body's changed from working out. Um, I took myself off medication, which I don't advise to people generally. But I'm stubborn, and I wanted to prove a point. Um, and so I took myself off the Victoza. And when I went back to my doctor, and he was looking at my medications, I said, "Oh, it's a six point two, and I stopped taking Victoza two months ago." And he was like, "Really?" So I told him that I was doing the work because it's it, it's work. It's not easy. It's work. But eventually what happens is you begin to enjoy things. I enjoy healthy food. I enjoy my binge, like going to England and having fish and chips last October. Like I can do that now. I'm just not eating as much of it. And I know that if I'm going to eat that, I need to move my body. It's 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 a very simple calculation that people try to complicate, but once you figure out that it's not that complicated, it's actually a very simple process. It just takes one thing, and that's commitment. And, and then this November, you also had another big health win. So tell everyone about what happened for you after Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. Um, so right before Thanksgiving, uh, my brother said, hey, I'm registering for this turkey trot. It's a 15K. And you and Carlos, my husband, you should come do this with us. And I said, yeah, I'll be cheering you on at the end. And he said, why not? Well, you can even walk it. Why don't you try? And I said, you're right. Why don't I try? I work out for an hour doing 
a lot of cardio and I have a lot of strength now. So I said to my husband, you know, I'm going to register and you can wait for me at the finish line. And then he said, well, then I'll register too. And, um, you know, before you knew it, we had this great group and, and I was inspired by you and, and Jeannie and my brother who've been running. And I was so nervous. (laughs) I was so nervous because I said, well, I'm going to run until my knee hurts or until I'm tired. And I've never in my adult life been able to run three miles. And I know for people who run like nine or, or 15 or 26 miles, you know, three miles is like, oh, three miles. But for someone who doesn't run, um, that was a big deal. And so I said to myself, once we started at that starting point, I'm going to go at my own pace, but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop and walk part of it. I know that's fair, but I'm not going to stop and walk. I'm going to run this whole thing. And as soon as I crossed the finish line, like I cried because I was like, oh, my God, I just did that. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it was really a big emotional day. Like somebody who's not a runner, who, who has never been a runner, to be able to do an organized run is a big is a big deal. So I was pretty proud of that, that uh, 5K medal. And now we're going to try the, the 10 or 15 next year. So. I, I have to say I'm so proud of you. I, I wanted you on the show because you're the most inspirational story of the year for us. I met you in oh, person, everybody. You. You're sassy and fun, and I and I think she when you heard her, if you don't if you haven't met Linda, she's a she's like everybody else. And I think you told that story so truthfully. I hope people really heard that who have been wanting to make a change or have tried making change and haven't succeeded, that there are other options. Like you found Orange Theory. You um, work with a personal trainer. You signed up for a 5K. That woman, your trainer, told you some simple advice about what are you putting in your mouth, how much are you moving your body, and that made the click. And, of course, having that support was really helpful. So now, Linda, take us to the Emmys this year, three spanks later, uh, what was it like <laughs> to walk the red carpet and, and share that moment? Because this is really a triumph, what you did, and, and I'm so happy to share it with our audience. Oh, thanks, Max. Um, well, there was no triple spanking, spanking this season. Um, as you know, or I don't know how many people have tried on, if you really want to feel defeated, try a designer dress on <laughs> when you're a size 12 or a 14 you know, and that's what they call their 16. Or, you know, you, you look at a size 10 and it looks like a 2. The sizing is really wacky. So I tried not to focus on the numbers. Um, I tried to find something that fit and that I felt comfortable in and that I was not going to wrap myself up in. And the other big thing is, like, I have such a complex about my arms, but um, I never liked the way my arms look. But I said, screw it. You know, I've done the work for the last year, and I'm not perfect, but I'm going to wear chapless and um that was a big thing for me so i zipped that dress up um it was a david meester dress that i got from neiman's off the rack which was amazing and um i zipped it up and my husband said that's the dress and so we we uh got ready and we took the same exact picture that we took the year before and we have a side-by-side now. And I I hadn't realized, like, I hadn't realized how different I look. And um, so it was nice to see that together. But also, you know, my husband lost 20, 25 pounds in this at least. Um, 
he's gotten back into shape as well. So we both felt really and great. And I'm sure having that was and, a big support, right? Having your, Was it good to work on it together as a couple? Yeah, and we still do. We still do. But listen, I mean, there are those nights where I'm like, hey, let's go get tacos. We just don't eat six of them each anymore. We'll each have two. You know, we, we've figured out not to give anything up, um, but to make the small changes that add up. So um, you can believe that the night of the Emmys, I drank all the champagne and wine I wanted. <laughs> I ate the full Wolfgang Puck dinner. Um, I didn't worry about any of, of those things because it was such a great night. But we um, we arrived at the Emmys. We walked the red carpet. And, you know, when our show was called that we won, being who I am, the first thing I thought about when I got up is like, oh, my God, I have to get up and walk on stage. And and the camera adds 10 pounds, you know, you get in your head. Um, and so we, we went up there and and it was mind-blowing. It was a life-changing experience, you know. And um, and afterward, when they parade you around, you, you really feel special um, when they parade you around to the press. So I look at our Emmy photos that came out in Emmy magazine and in Rolling Stone and God, we were in like six different magazines. We were above the fold in the New York Times, the LA Times. Um, and I'm in every single one of those pictures. And I look at that and I like that person. I like that person because not only did I do the work and was honored for it in terms of the Emmy, but I did the work and I felt comfortable um, being who I was up there. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not perfect now and I don't, you know, I'd like to keep continue to work on myself and I have a goal of being um, I keep telling my brother that I'm going to be my hottest at 50 I'm going to be my most shape at 50 um, good for you and that's my goal that is my goal All right, we'll have one more question for you before we play our game uh, sure. I know you're um, a Latina and you're working in the film and TV industry and there aren't a lot of women behind the camera <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, sure. what you would say to our audience, because I know we have a lot of women who are interested in this field, and I know uh, it's difficult. And and being one of the and being an Emmy Award-winning producer has to be amazing, since there aren't that many of you. And I'm just wondering, like, what advice do you give to women who are listening who are trying to get into this field, because it seems like so many doors are closing rather than opening for them. Yeah, and I know there's been a lot of talk with the Directors Guild and there's been a lot of talk in all the guilds actually with diversity and, and uh, women and women of color and, you know, our, um, LGBT um, representation and things like that. So I, I think it goes across the board, not just even as a woman, but as any sort of minority person in this in this business, which is um, – for me, I've always tried not to separate myself out. You know, I've always stayed true to who I was. I never felt like like you have to step on people or as a woman be a hard ass, you know, or be powerful or, you know, represent the devil wears Prada type of mentality to crawl to the top. I actually pride myself on having a pretty good reputation as being kind. Um, I listen to my crews. I support them. I try to treat people with respect um, and I try to make my opinion and my thoughts on things always heard um, without pushing pushing that through. So it really starts in your own head and just knowing that you are no less, um, that you are, are you have every right 
to be alongside any man or straight person or, you know, white person or whatever. Um, it's just hard work. If you work hard, you see what will happen. And, you know, I, I have a lot of production assistants here that I work with. And I say out of every three, there's always one that rises to the top. And it's always because they work hard. They work hard. They pay attention to details. And they are always present. And those those are just qualities in life, I think, that will get you far in any situation, not just the entertainment industry. Um, but that's that's what I've always told even my production assistants coming up, you know, especially the, the young women that we have working with us. It's like you can – you can push through. You really can. But you got to stay true to who you great are. Great advice. And thank you for sharing that. All right, it's time to switch gears and play some games because I'm Mr. Divabetic. That's what I do. And if you want to play games with me, you can visit our Divabetic Facebook page or join me at the Divabetic Club in Philadelphia at the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital this Thursday, December 15th. You could register now for free. Fabulous and fun outreach at 1-800-JEFF-NOW, J-E-F-F, now. And uh, I'll be there all day having a great time with Neva White and the rest of the Diva Beta community. Okay, so, um, Linda, I don't know if you're aware of this, but every week before the podcast, we post our instant winner challenge, which means you, I put it on our Facebook page, Tumblr, Pinterest, and Twitter feeds, and everyone tries to guess the challenge. If they get it correct, they go into a random drawing to win a prize with you. If you answer our question correctly, uh, not only will you win, but our instant winner will win as well tonight. The first thing you have to do awesome. is pick a number from 1 to 50. Uh, do I tell you what it is? Mm-hmm. Okay, 13. Yeah, we're not the psychic hotline yet, but we're, I'm trying to get there someday. <laughs> What's your number? Oh, sorry, 13. 13. It's Robin Roberts. Could be our instant winner tonight. I don't know if that's a Good Morning America co-host or not, but Robin Roberts, if you're out there. Well, yeah, I know. Don't you love that? I don't think it's the same woman, but she's even as fabulous as Robin Roberts. We love Robin Roberts. Okay, so if you win tonight, you and our instant winner – uh, will get a free six-month access to the MySugar Pro app. Uh, according to Healthline.com, the MySugar app tracks everything you need in one place, from your meals to your moods. Also, it helps create monthly reports to share with your doctor. You could even use the app to estimate your H1, uh, your A1C, which you talked about earlier, and we'll talk to Patricia Addy Gentle about that a little bit later on. And um, that's what we're giving away tonight on top of a, our lovely awesome. DivaBank prize package, which we'll announce later. So here is your question, Linda. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. Um, it's multiple choice. What does the rule of 15 apply to? Is it A, Losing 15% of your body weight can reduce your cholesterol. Is it B, 15 grams of carbohydrate to treat low blood sugars? Is it C, 15 minutes of exercise can improve your overall health? Before you give your answer, we're going to share one more song from our Divabetic inspiration, Leona Lewis. It's called I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. It's by the British glam rock band Wizard, and it was first released in 1973. Here's Leona Lewis with... Well, I wish it could be Christmas every day. When the kids are singing and the band begins to play. 
right, Linda, before you enter, we're going to bring back our fabulous educator, Patricia Addy Gentle from Atlanta. Hi, Patricia. Hi. <laughs> Great story, right? What an insp- I mean, I'm wishing it's Christmas every day with Linda. What an amazing story to share with our listeners at the end of the year. Very amazing. I Linda is inspirational to diabetes educators everywhere. We would hope that our clients get that message. If you work hard, you definitely can win, but it is all about working. It's all right, well, we've got work to do, as the ladies of Fifth Harmony once said. Uh, here's your challenge, <laughs> Linda. If you get it right, you and Robin Roberts can be our prize winners tonight. What does okay. the rule of 15 apply to? Is it A, losing 15% of your body weight can reduce your cholesterol? Is it B, 15 grams of carbohydrates to treat low blood sugars? Is it C, 15 minutes of exercise can improve your overall health? Your answer is? I'm going to say B. 15 grams of carbohydrates to treat low blood sugars. Patricia, for the big prize, is Linda uh, right? Absolutely, Linda. You're doing well. (laughs) Apparently, you've been working and you figured that out. But 15 grams of sugar, um, the rule of 15 is to use 15 grams of sugar to um, treat a low blood sugar, and then you will wait 15 minutes after you've consumed that, recheck the blood sugar, and if you're still low, of course, we, we do say another 15 grams is indicated. But uh, eat your meal. But 15 grams is the treatment. Wait 15 minutes, and you use the three glucose tablets. can be one of the samples or an example of, of 15 grams of sugar. Is that rule awesome. important, uh, Patricia, because of the roller coaster effect of people over-treating uh, low blood sugars. I'm just curious, like why do certified ed- educators around the country like yourself kind of recommend the rule of 15? That is in part uh, the reason why we do that, and we research has found that 15 grams is adequate. That's enough to bring the sugar up to the level where it should be. Most people who have low blood sugars experience them either because of Missing a meal, not eating on time, or maybe they had increased exercise, worked out just a little longer than what they should have, or they went too long between the meals. And so the 15 grams is adequate. And, of course, if the meal, if it is meal time, the meal should be consumed uh, right after, and you don't count those 15 grams of sugar that you use to treat in, that is not included in the meal carbohydrates that you would count for your meal. And we should remind people, is 15 grams of carbohydrates a full cheesecake? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so, Max. (laughs) What would be, what's a good example of 15 grams of carbs? 15 grams of carbs, like uh, the three glucose tablets usually. In some instances it may be four. If it's the, uh, the rounded fruit type, of of glucose tablets. You can also use glucose gel. That's one tube of gel. You can also use three pieces of hard candy. You can use four ounces of fruit juice, or you can use a half of uh, regular soda. So that's the 12-ounce can, but you would do only the six ounces. And sugar, a package of sugar will work as well. You know, the little... Um, packages that you see in the restaurant. 
So right. if you're out And we eating, should remind people about the other answers. Um, the first one, losing 15% of your body weight could reduce your cholesterol. That, there's actually good news on that. It, it, Weight Watchers says it only takes 10% of your body weight for you to start seeing uh, a, a reduction in cholesterol and even maybe your blood pressure, right, Patricia? That is right. That is right. So that is good news. So losing weight is a plus if you are overweight and needing to lose weight. So that's if you're 200 true. pounds, that's 20 pounds. And then the last one was 15 minutes of exercise can improve your overall health. Uh, that's a questionable one, right, because people say it could be as low as 10 minutes a day, but that's a day, not a week or a month. But overall, don't most experts like yourself insist that we should be doing at least a half hour of some kind of exercise every day? We do. We recommend uh, at least a half hour. But do remember that you can break that up. If there are reasons where um, there's a barrier that you cannot do 30 minutes all at once in one setting, you can break it up and do it multiple times a day. And there's even more good news, Linda, because for helping us raise awareness in a fun new way by playing our Diva Better game tonight, you're gonna, you and Robin Roberts, I love that. Hello, good morning, America. <laughs> will be winning, you'll be receiving a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic safe, low glycemic, tooth friendly sweeteners, a cabbage cheese gift basket filled with an assortment of delicious low fat cheeses, Dr. Greenfield's diabetic foot, hand, and body lotions, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. And Robin Roberts will receive a six month free access to My Sugar Pro. App. The My Sugar Pro app helps you control your blood sugar levels, monitor your carbs, track your insulin, and avoid hypers and hypos to make living with diabetes more pleasurable. How's that? That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. And I'm going to serve up one more song before we meet our final guest. Our diva inspiration, Leona Lewis, says that her late grandmother, uh, she wrote this song about her late grandmother. It's called Your Hallelujah. She wrote it because she was confronting, uh, comforting a loved one over a loss, and she thought that this was something that in the holidays it's kind of might not be a standard Christmas greeting or, or message, but it's still a heartwarming one. So let's listen to Leona Lewis one more time. Uh, hello, Max. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. It's a big show. We, we're over 15 minutes. I'm, I guess this is why we're not on network TV. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I think so. I, I've been but putting everyone right. in Everything the hot seat tonight, so I, I want to throw you right into the hot seat if you don't mind. Sure. Go ahead. All right. 
this came up on Facebook recently. If someone wanted to host an Italian-themed holiday dinner, what would Mama Rosemary recommend? Oh, my, oh, my. Well, being of Italian descent and having some wonderful holiday meals, I would recommend starting your meal with um, a, a little, like a lasagna or a manicotti or uh, even regular spaghetti. That's the way the Italians used to do the holidays. Before they served their ham or turkey or roast beef or whatever, it seemed to be like a great big appetizer to have one of those um, um, Italian meals like the lasagna and uh, meatballs and things like that. It was really special and um, very filling, of course. So make like the pasta the appetizer? Yes, yes. Mhm. I would do that. Uh, and then, of course, your dessert would always be the tiramisu or some Italian um, gelato or whatever. That would always be good, too. So that's my recommendation for a good Italian holiday meal. Wait, I remember that your mom, my grandmother, would also warm nuts with, and serve them with grapes at the end of the meal. Oh yes, we usually had um, we usually had a nutcracker by each plate, and we had the nuts, and everybody would love to uh, crack nuts and see who could crack the most, and who would go for the filberts and and trade nuts and so forth. And uh, yes, we always had fruit, tangerines or grapefruit or uh, the grapes, like you mentioned. Um, it was always a nice ending. Seems Holland Park seems a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> It sure does. It sure does. But it's full of great memories. All right. So um, what is your tip for this month for December? Well, it is in the holiday spirit, so my tip has to do a little bit with the holidays. I am going to encourage you to get enough sleep during this holiday season. Going out more and staying out later often means cutting back on your sleep. Sleep loss can make it harder to control your blood sugar. And when you're sleep-deprived, you'll tend to eat more and prefer more of that high-fat, high-sugar food. Aim for seven to eight hours per night to guard against this endless eating and this mindless eating also. So with that, I'm going to wish everybody a a wonderful holiday, and I'm going to say ciao for now. All right, thank you so much, Mom. And I want to thank all my guests for listening. Please subscribe to the Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org and visit Divabetic's Facebook pages and videos of Mr. Divabetic's YouTube channel. Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and healthy together. We're going to close this podcast with another standard from Leona Lewis, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen to Winter Wonderland. (laughs) 